0: A couple weeks ago, I talked about, we did a study on Christ's patience and how that patience should impact us, how we should be developing that patience as well. We'll look at another topic today that's, um, I I would say, even more challenging than uh, the patience of Christ and the patience that we should have. Um, We're going to look at God's glory. I don't know how many of you remember, but a few weeks ago, in community group, there was a question that said, what is God's glory and what should we be doing you know, about God's glory? How should that impact and motivate us? And I kind of skimped out on my community group because I already knew I was going to be teaching this in uh, the Discovering God Hour. So I just gave them a really brief summary and told them they'd have to make sure they were here on, uh, on May 8th. But what I did for a seminary last semester, I wrote a, a paper on God's glory and it was really good to, um, for me to examine that. Because it's something we hear a lot about. In fact, just the song that we sang today, um, Complete in Thee, the last, co- the chorus says, and I shall, that I will be glorified. That's the last verse of the chorus, the last words of the chorus. So, Complete in Thee, mean it talks about our salvation in Christ. And then it ends with saying, and I shall be glorified. But we know that God has glory but we know that we are supposed to be glorifying God. We, we hear that all the time. We think of, you know, verses like 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for God's glory. You know, it's nice. It's, it's a nice catchphrase verse, but what does it actually mean? And so what I want to do today is, I want you to leave today not taking God's glory for granted anymore. I don't want it to be just a catchphrase, just something like the love of God, that we, we know the words, but we don't have a, an, a heart knowledge of what that means, of what it looks like. God's glory is something that I noticed that a lot of theologians in their writings seem to take for granted. They mention it, they talk about how important it is, but they never really define it. I had to dig pretty deep to find good definitions of what God's glory is. It's even something that the writers of Scripture seem to take for granted. When you read Scripture, you can't go usually but a few chapters before being confronted by God's glory. But they don't define it, they don't lay it out for you and say, this is what God's glory is. You have to piece it together. So that's what we're going to do today, is piece together from Scripture what God's glory is, and then how it impacts us, how we can return that glory to God. So first of all, we need to look at what the words actually mean. The main word, I won't go too deep, but the main word is, In Hebrew is kavod or kabod. It literally has the idea of weight, of heaviness. And so they would talk about when Jethro talked to Moses uh, about how he was judging the people and how he was administering, he said, this burden is too kavod. It's too heavy for you. You cannot bear up underneath it. So it was something that was burdensome. It was a weight. But also when the queen of Sheba came to visit Solomon... We're told in one Kings ten two that that her entourage that came with her was kavod. It had a great immensity to it. Also, as we know, um, the, the word talent in scripture doesn't refer to you being good at something. Usually, in our English versions, talent is translating the ancient concept of money. It's a, cur- a denomination of currency. So, a talent was a weight of gold. So they we- they measured. Value in terms of weight. The heavier something was in a precious metal, particularly, the more valuable it was. So kavod also came to mean value. It meant greatness, immensity, weight, value. And when speaking of people, it usually referred to someone's significance, their reputation. Um, Joseph told his brothers, I have great kavod, I have great honor, glory here in Egypt. So it is something that humans can possess to a degree. It's a reputation of value. And in the, in the New Testament, the word is doxa, which should be familiar to you. It's, it's often translated praise. So the the old hymn we sing very occasionally here is the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. We praise God, we have a doxology. And praise and glory are very closely related. Originally, Um, like the classical Greek writers like Socrates and Philo and and, uh, Plato, they used doxa to mean someone's opinion or their reputation. But Paul and the other New Testament writers took that and they tweaked it for the New Testament. And so when they said doxa, when they talked about God's glory, they didn't just mean his reputation, although that was part of it. It came to mean radiance, shining glory that is unique to God. And I think that really helps narrow down for us what glory is. We take the Old Testament kavod, we take the New Testament doxa, the idea of praise and radiance. Um, Revelation 19.1 says, After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. So I've, I've given this summary, and I'll say it a couple times, just hopefully it'll stick for us. Glory is the unique excellence of God. That's the short version. Glory is the unique excellence of God. It's closely related to terms like honor, majesty, splendor. It sums up the perfections of his divine character. So glory is something unique to God. It, it always refers to how excellent he is, both in his In who he is, his identity, and then the activity that he has among this earth as well. God's glory is what makes him unique. His unique majesty and excellence, if you will. And so, I want to look at several aspects of that glory. And the first is that God has this glory in himself. Nobody had to give him glory. He had this glory, we're told, before the world ever began. I'll look at a verse that shows that in a minute. But... The very fact that you and I glorify God does not give him the glory that he has. He has that glory internally, inherently. It is who he is. It is wrapped up in his identity. If he did not have glory, he would not be God. One theologian said, God's highest goal is apparently his own glory. As the highest value in the universe, the source from which all else derives God must choose his own glory ahead of all else. To do anything else would, in effect, be a case of idolatry. Think about that. If God valued anything more than his own glory, then he would be cheap. He wouldn't be valuing himself properly. So we need to obviously value Himself him properly as well. So I see that God is inherently glorious. And the verse that I was going to say was John 17, 5. Both Jesus and God had this glory from before time began. And now, Father, Jesus said, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Amazing. Before anything was ever created, God was perfectly glorious. Psalm 29.3 says, The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. His glory is connected with his power, with, to use a big word, his transcendence. He's separate from his creation. He's different. As we said before, he's uniquely excellent. Um, the sun as well shares in this glory. Hebrews 1.3 says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. I love that phrase. He's the radiance of God's glory. The glory that God has, Christ has. As we'll see, Christ veiled his glory most of the time when he was on earth, but it didn't make him any less glorious. He had that inherent glory just like God the Father did. Um, The Holy Spirit is called the spirit of glory in 1 Peter 4.14. So the glory is shared by all the members of the Trinity. God has this glory inherently. But there's also something we always have to keep in mind when we think about God and His glory is that God takes it very seriously. He is jealous to sustain, to keep His own glory. And the word jealous sometimes can provoke a little bit of a negative response in our hearts because we know that's something that's not okay for us. When we seek our own glory or even the glory of another person, we're sinning, we're not living up to God's standards. So sometimes it seems a little bit self-serving to us that God pursues his own glory, that that's his highest goal, but it's not. Because as I said before, for God to be, have a a, a value system that is consistent with his word that he's given us, he has to value himself more than anything else in the world. Otherwise, he wouldn't really be God, at least not the God of the scripture. Turn to Ezekiel 36. There's a couple verses here that help uh, us understand that. I'll give you another verse here. Isaiah 42.8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. God can't handle it when someone else gets the glory other than him. But look at Ezekiel 36, verses 22 and 23. Uh, God is pointing to the day in the future when all the nation of Israel will be gathered to him and will have their hearts regenerated. But he says in verses 22 and 23, Therefore... Say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, that I'm going to bring you in from all the world and change your hearts. It's not for your sake, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. Another thing to look for when you're reading God's word, when he says things about my name, I'm doing this for the sake of my name. I'm doing this to vindicate my name. That's very closely tied to his glory. His name oftentimes represents or stands for his glory. His name is his reputation, which as we saw was a huge part of what glory is. It's God's reputation shining out in this world. Since God is inherently glorious, how do we know about that glory? We read about it in his word, but if there wasn't a Bible, how would we know about his glory? If that glory is internal to God, if it's something that consists within him, that makes him marvelous, how do we know about it? That's right, Wes, and that's the verse we're going to look at in a minute, Psalm 19.1. Creation is one way that God shows his glory. And my point is, if God didn't reveal his glory to us, we wouldn't know about it. This world would be a very unglorious place if God didn't reveal, if he didn't manifest his glory to his creation. So first of all, as Wes said, Psalm 19.1 talks about how God's glory is shown by his creation. Even in its fallen condition, the earth still points back to its maker. So we don't worship nature like those who have rejected God and his glory, and instead they, trans- they transfer glory to the world. And they say, what a wonderful world we live in. We say, yes, it is a wonderful world. They said, And they say, we need to respect the earth. Okay, We can respect the earth. We can appreciate what God has given us. But then... They worship the earth. Romans 1 says, instead of the creation, instead of the creator. We have to be careful we don't make that mistake. But we also should appreciate what God has given us in this beautiful earth. It reflects, to a limited degree, God's glory. But also, God reveals his glory to us in his mighty acts. For the bulk of history, God most dramatically displayed his glory through these great public acts which generated attention from humanity. Some of the purposes of these acts were to judge sin, to encourage obedience, or simply just to sometimes reveal a little sliver of the divine majesty. And I want to look at one of the best examples of that. Turn to Exodus 33. Exodus 33. Um, If you remember from maybe your Through the Bible 90 Days reading, Exodus 32-33 is the event when the people of God rebelled against him and they set up a golden calf. And they were worshiping that golden calf instead of the God who had just brought them out of Egypt. Uh, One of the darkest moments in Israel's history. And Moses, I think at that point, needed something to refresh his soul. He needed to be refocused. He needed to understand who this God was that we were following, that we're serving. He needed to be energized again to be recharged. So look at verse 18 of 33. Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. So God amazingly agreed to Moses' request. He said, I will show you my glory. As far as I can tell, this is about as up close and personal as any person in the Old Testament, at least, ever got to God's glory. And even then, he could only show him a portion of it because otherwise, And he had to hide him in the rock and cover him. Otherwise, Moses would not have survived seeing God's glory full on in all its radiance in front of him. And look at uh, the 34, 5 through 8. Let's see how that actually transpired. Then the Lord came down in the cloud, stood there with him, that's Moses, and proclaimed his name, the Lord. Again, you see his name appearing over and over again. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. And notice Moses' response to this amazing vision. Moses bowed down to the ground at once and worshipped. Moses couldn't even stand on his feet. And actually we see in verse 30, interestingly enough later, it says his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. And the children of Israel couldn't even look at Moses' face because it shone so brightly with the after effect, if you will, of God's glory that he had experienced up close and personal. When God reveals his glory it caused people to fall to their knees. There was often things like lightning and thunder that accompanied these great acts when God just showed his glory to someone. Some other examples of this are in the early chapters of both Ezekiel and Isaiah when God was commissioning them to be prophets. They both got visions of the glory of God. And then also um, in Luke 2, the angel saying of God's glory to the frightened shepherds they heralded the coming, the birth of the Messiah. And that serves as a good transition because the next way that God showed his glory, showed it through creation, he showed it through these individual marvelous acts that were rare but real. And then he showed it through his son, Jesus Christ. As I mentioned before, Jesus usually hid his glory. You wouldn't have known he had glory just from walking, seeing him walked down the road with his disciples. You wouldn't have known that that was a glorious son of God. In fact, most people never caught on to that. But, at the transfiguration, if you remember in Luke 9, he appeared on the hill with two old testament saints, Elijah and Moses. And the disciples looked and they saw, it says they saw his glory. They beheld the light and the wonder of it. So there were times, and then his baptism as well, I would say, when God said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, and the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus. There were a few times when he showed his glory on earth, in his earthly ministry. 1 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God who said, let the light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That is the best way that we can now glimpse God's glory is through Jesus Christ. God's regenerating light pierced the darkness of my heart and your heart, if you claim Jesus. And it enabled us to see glory in our Savior. Amazing. The gospel of Jesus is truly glorious. Turn to Ephesians 1. We need to look at a, ver- a couple verses there. Ephesians 1 constantly talks about we need to be to the praise of his glorious grace. Talking about the grace that saves us is so glorious because it shows God's wonderful, unique character. One theologian says that the ultimate manifestation of God's glory took place at the cross. Look at Ephesians 1, 11 through 12. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. We were chosen before the foundation of the world to give glory to God. That as believers in Jesus as those who have forsaken all else and have trusted in Christ. We can share in that glory. We can reflect glory to God. The gospel is so glorious. Glory is not something that God keeps to himself. It's something that he reveals to mankind. He lets them in on that. He goes public with it. 1 Peter 4, 1-3 uh, the apostle reminded his readers, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Christ suffered on the cross so that he would be glorified and so that as we suffer, we will share in his glory one day. We know that the Lord Jesus will return one day and reign gloriously over the earth in the millennium. And in that sovereign rule of Christ, God will get Amazing glory like he has never received before on this earth because the entire earth will be subordinate to Christ, will honor Christ, and God will get glory. Habakkuk 2.14 predicts, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Has that ever happened before? No, but it will happen when Christ reigns from Jerusalem one day. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord will be spread out Everyone will see it. Everyone will appreciate and will honor God and His Son, Jesus Christ, for who they are and for what they have done. So God has showed this incredible glory to this world. And it culminated in the life, death, death, and resurrection of the Son. You may ask yourself at this point, well, that's great that God did that. He's inherently glorious. He revealed His glory through creation and through His Word and through His Son so what can I really do? I mean, you're talking about transcendent concepts, Zach. Things that are a little too, little too deep for me to take in. I'm looking forward to my Mother's Day lunch already. What's my part in this? We are called over and over again to glorify God, are we not? You know that. Pastor talks about all that time. We sing about that in songs. Talking about giving glory to God, glorifying Him, praising Him. So we need to ask some questions. What does that mean? Can we increase God's glory by our actions? Can we decrease God's glory by our actions? So let's look at some of the ways that believers return glory to God. Not just that he has it inherently, that he reveals it with us, but that we can reflect it to him. We have a part in fulfilling the greatest objective in the universe. Which is to get God glory. God would still be perfectly glorious if he had never created humanity. That's just who he is. I don't want to make that clear. But glory by its nature demands recognition. We have to honor and recognize and appreciate the glory of God. Uh, 1 Chronicles 16 28 through 29 says, It commands us Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations, Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory. Do his name. Bring an offering. Come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. I love that passage because it brings together some of the great concepts we've been talking about splendor, worship, glory, strength, his name. And ultimately, it commands us to engage in glorifying God. So let me give you a brief definition of what it means to glorify God. Remember, we said the glory of God related to his unique excellence, his honor, his reputation. And I can say, I think, that to glorify God means that we acknowledge that unique excellence and we reflect his ultimate value back to him in obedience and worship. So we acknowledge it and we reflect it. And the, way, the best way that we reflect it is in obedience And worship, as this verse said, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. So let me say right off the bat, to glorify God is something that you can do. It's something that I can do. something that we must do. Honoring God, glorifying God, is obeying him and worshiping him properly. It's not super complicated. It's still a great and grand concept, but it is something that is accessible for us. So what way can we glorify God? And I, I mentioned, we don't make God more glorious. I saw Dad Crawford shaking his head. We don't add to God's glory. The great theologian Jonathan Edwards said, God's glory and happiness are in and of himself. They are infinite and cannot be added to and unchangeable. God's glory is infinite and and unchangeable, and inherent to himself. We are not going to add to God's glory. He's not waiting on pins and needles for people to glorify him so he can finally be God. He is God no matter what. One of my favorite songs says, You are God alone. In the good times and bad, you are on your throne. You are God alone. We cannot contribute to God's glory but we must attribute glory to him. What do I mean by that? Well, Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise or glorify your Father in heaven. And the way that we need to understand that is it's not that our good deeds give God glory that he wouldn't have otherwise. Remember, we are appointed in Christ to do good deeds. That's part of his plan for us. We wouldn't be good if God hadn't shared his goodness with us and the Holy Spirit working in us to help us obey his will. So even the good deeds that we do aren't our own. They're what God has shared with us. It's working out in our hearts. So those good deeds enhance the reputation of God in this world. We can't increase his glory, but we can if I can say it, make God look better by our obedience and our worship of him. In this world that doesn't respect God's glory, they don't give him the glory that he deserves, we can shine as lights who reflect glory back to him and that glory will spill out into your unsaved friends and family members and neighbors and coworkers. They can see a little bit of God's glory in you. Wow, (laughs) that's an amazing concept. That's an amazing concept. Privilege and responsibility. And I asked, can we add to God's glory? The answer is no. We can just enhance how his glory, how his reputation looks on this earth and reflect it back to him and honor him that way. We also can't technically take away from God's glory any more than we can add to it. God's rightful place, however, his glorious place can be stolen. In fact, it is stolen every day throughout this world. People refuse to honor God. Uh, a very interesting verse, I think, Malachi 1.6. God accused the Israelites. Listen to his words. He says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. In context there, the people went on to say, how are we dishonoring you? How are we showing contempt for you? We're doing the sacrifices that you put in place. We're obeying, right? But it was about more than just external works. They, they claimed to follow their Lord, but their hearts were far from him. They were just going through the motions. And God said, that doesn't honor me. When you just go through the motions, even though you claim to be a child of God, that doesn't bring me glory. So, the way to glorify God is to honor Him in worship and obedience. But we can take away God's glory. We can refuse to give Him glory when our hearts aren't in the good deeds that we do. Look at 1 Samuel 2. 1 Samuel 2. I had never put this together before I was studying this for the paper, and it hit me right between the eyes. 1 Samuel 2. Talking about Eli. Eli was the spiritual leader of Israel at the time. I have no reason to doubt that Eli be- was a believer in God. We will see Eli in heaven, as far as I'm concerned. He was Israel's spiritual leader. He was the one member who told Hannah that she would be blessed, she would have a child, that God was going to grant her request. But if you know the story of Eli, you know that he had a dark side to his life and his ministry. Look at 1 Samuel 2, 17. The sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. Look back at verse 12. It says, Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. They had no regard for the Lord. So Eli was a leader, a spiritual leader. He loved the Lord, but his sons were not. The problem was his sons were were sharing in his spiritual responsibilities. They were supposedly leading the congregation of Israel as well. Listen to some of the things that they did. They would take the meat that they were not supposed to have. They would sleep with women who came to worship. They did not honor God. They had contempt for his law. And God ultimately judged and condemned them and put them to death for their evil actions. But look what he said to Eli in verse 22. And Eli was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. If a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke. Have you heard the expression, too little, too late? That's what was happening here. Eli had let his sons get away with rotten deeds for so long that by the time he finally confronted them about it, they didn't pay attention to him. He should have taken their position away from them at the very least. But he didn't do that either, as far as we know. So look at verse 29. Ultimately, God confronted Eli. He said, why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering? that I prescribed for my dwelling. And then listen to these words. Why do you honor your sons more than me? Why, Eli, do you honor, do you give glory to your sons more than me? By fattening yourself on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel, they took what wasn't theirs. They took what belonged to God. And those words should grip your heart. Eli, you're a believer, but why are you honoring your sons more than me? And friends, we have to ask ourselves, is there someone or something that we are putting in God's place in our hearts? You can steal God's glory. You can rob him of the reputation of the honor that is due his name, when you put someone else in his place, when you say, well, I just can't really confront that person. I just, I, I just don't want to ruin my, repu- my relationship with them. When you say, boy, I, I know I should do this. I know God tells me to do this, but it's just not convenient right now. We can put things or people or priorities or ideas or goals in God's place. And we can steal the glory that is due our Heavenly Father. Sobering thoughts. But I want to go to one more part of this God's glory is inherent, it's intrinsic to Him. He chooses to share it, to reveal it to this world. We reflect that glory back to Him in worship and obedience. We acknowledge His excellence. Well, my friends, there's one more aspect of that that is so encouraging to me. I hope it is to you too. Believers absorb that glory. Let me read some verses that will uh, that will follow that. But this describes what I've started thinking of as the circuit of glory. You know what a circuit is, right? Sure, I know Vaughn does. An electrical circuit. It's all put together. Mom, what's, how would you describe in simple terms a circuit? You can do a better job than I can. It's a complete path. Hey, that's a great, I'm going to use that. It's a complete path from an electrician. A complete path. A circuit is a complete path. God's glory is a circuit, friends. Think about it. His glory starts with him. It radiates out from who he is. It shines to us. It is revealed in creation, in his word, in his great acts, in his son Jesus Christ, especially in the gospel. And then believers reflect that glory back to God. It is a path, an unending path of glory. That's God's intention. But that glory does absorb into us. It soaks into us throughout the course of our lives and eventually it will perfectly glorify us in heaven one day. So look at... Um, 2 Corinthians 3. Before salvation, Romans 3.23 says, we fell short of God's glory. We could have had it, but we missed it. We didn't want it. We weren't interested in God's glory. But now, look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We reflect God's glory. That's the one part of the circuit that I talked about. But we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. God is not done in your heart. He's not done making you more glorious. Every day, he can complete that a little bit more. He can make you in line with Christ's image and to look like our Savior a little bit more every day. The reason it says unveiled face is because Paul earlier in that chapter referenced how when Moses came back from seeing God and from talking with God and his face was so radiant, he had to wear wear a veil over it to keep from spooking the children of Israel. But he says, we don't have to veil our faces. We have Christ to look at to pattern our lives after, and to share in that ever-increasing glory on this earth. What a privilege. But the glory process has begun in this life after you put faith in Jesus Christ, but it's finished one day in heaven. And we know that we're always going to be sinners now. There's verses in Scripture that talk about if any man says he doesn't have sin in this life, then he's a liar. Because sin is part of this life, sadly. But it won't always be, will it? And one day, we will be perfectly glorified. Look at uh, chapter 4, 17, verse 17 of 2 Corinthians, just down the page. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. On the eternal rather than the temporary. So this glory that is absorbing into your life, that is changing you to look more like Christ every day, it will be completed one day. You will be sin-free in heaven one day. You will share in Christ's glory. Romans eight seventeen says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Friends, we can be assured of that future glory as we persevere through the current trials of this life. Read First Peter if you want to get that concept just locked down in your mind. Peter over and over again says, suffering now, glory eternal. Suffering now, glory eternal. When Christ finally gets his due praise as the Lord of every man, we will reign with him in glory. There's something very uh, spectacular going on in my heart and in your heart. And praise God, it's not due to us. We can't screw it up. God is making us more glorious. He is demanding and receiving of us that glory reflected back to him. It is literally a process that is out of this world. And as God has included us In this circuit of glory, this unique excellence that shines out from the Lord, he deserves this praise, does he not? He deserves it from us for all that he's done, for who he is. In Christ, we are changed from those who hide from glory to those who seek it. You and I can participate in spreading the glory of God Through the Savior who bought us with His blood. And I want to emphasize, friends, that it's not just the big, fancy, ultra religious tasks. It's not just Pastor Ken who can bring glory to God. It's not just Pastor Matt. It's not just the seminary professors. It's not just the person who's been saved for 60 years. The everyday deeds that we engage in, in obedience to Christ, in a life that's submitted to Him in worship, bring Him glory. That's what 1 Corinthians 10.31 says when it says, do everything for God's glory. Even down to the mundane details of eating and drinking. Those bring God glory when they're done by a believer with a life that's rightly submitted to Christ. We have to realize that our primary mission in this life is furthering God's reputation, magnifying His grace, and telling the world what a great and good and glorious Lord. He really is. That, friends, is a goal truly worth living for. As we close in prayer, I hope that as we understand God's glory a little bit better, that we will commit to that joyful duty as our highest obligation and our best responsibility. It is a joyful privilege to engage in this circuit of glory that God shares with this world. Let's pray. Lord and Father, I am thankful for the specialness of this day in that we honor mothers. Lord, we do praise them and we um, acknowledge what they have done in our lives. But Lord, may we always reserve our highest praise, our most sincere glorification, Lord. Of you. May you be first in our hearts. And I pray that the obedience and worship that doesn't come naturally may be uh, an increasing part of our lives, that we can reflect your glory better and better to the world around us and back to you, Lord, in praise. Thank you for this great privilege. Help us in our task, Lord, I pray. In Christ's name, amen.